Hello and welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast. This is episode 89, Sex, Jesus, and the Conversation the Church Forgot. Yes, hello and welcome. My name is Lori Krieg and I am the Executive Director of Hole in My Heart Ministries and we are coming at you from Grand Rapids, Michigan. And I have the producer, our producer and the most professional radio voice among us, producer Steve beside me. Yes, hello. <laughs> yes, and you are. And we are missing a second player in this usual trio that interviews our amazing guests and it yeah. is Matt Krieg. Remember that sickness I told you that just keeps, it's literally been nonstop since I came off maternity leave. Man. It's unreal. And so all three of the youngins, from what the best we can determine via WebMD, <laughs> they got chicken pox. For sure the three-year-old does, mm. and then the other two have spattering. So he is actually at the doctor right this second. So God bless him mm-hmm. in a trillion ways. Um, but today we are exploring sexuality and the church through the lens of our guest, Mo Isom. Welcome, Mo. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm I'm sorry for your babies. That's Thank you. craziness. Chaos. I, it is total chaos. And you get it with a three, two-year-old and a two-monther as well. Yes. Yeah, we're right in the same season. Oh, man. As we were saying before we hit record, it is both all the highs and all the lows, sometimes simultaneously. But <laughs> in addition to having those highs and lows and everywhere in between with her amazing children and husband, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Mo, who is a New York Times bestselling author, a nationally sought after speaker. And in her younger years, she was an all-American goalkeeper for the LSU women's soccer team and the first female to train with and try out for an SEC men's football team, which is awesome. Go but, Tigers. Yeah, yeah. Going, that's amazing. <laughs> I saw a little clip of you doing the, in the tryout season. And so, man, that's just yeah. incredible. But she wrote a couple books in addition to all of that. And the first was Wreck My Life, Journeying from Broken to Bold. And the one we're going to be exploring today is Sex, Jesus, and the Conversations a Church Forgot. And those two books have reached tens of thousands of people worldwide. And through those books and her work and her tryouts, she's been featured on CBN, ESPN, and The Ellen Show. And she's married to a man named Jeremiah and has, those kids we mentioned, two daughters and a new young son similar to us. And Mo, I really appreciated your book that we're going to be exploring today. And I am excited because you have an eight part video curriculum called Conversations Continued that is going to help us unpack more of the conversations the church forgot. So I'm super excited to dive into that with you. But before we do, we want to get to know you a little bit better via our question of the week from last week. So Mo, this was that question that we asked you and our listeners. We'll start with you. What was one of your favorite childhood toys? Okay, so I got this question in advance, and I have been milling over it in my mind. I couldn't decide, (laughs) so I asked my assistant. I just said, this is the question of the week. What am I going to answer? And she's like, we all know what you need to answer. (laughs) And she was referencing my sweet little hand bear. It was this stuffed (gasps) bear that you can put your hand in, so it's a puppet too. It was my first stuffy. And then I, I mean, literally I took it to college with me. It was that stuffy that was my ride or die. And I kept it to give my children at this point, my dog's gotten a hold of it and chewed off the nose and both the eyes out as well as the small bib it wears. (laughs) And it probably desperately needs a washing. And my assistant thinks I have um, attachment issues, but I do. And <laughs> I will own it. So it back was my off. Favorite. It was my favorite. And so now it's in my little kid's stuffy bin and I say it's for them. But occasionally I look back at him there and I remember the good times. Aww. My hand bear. That was my favorite toy. So <laughs> precious. Does it still like have like a day childhood and I'm by like the smell of childhood? You know, I've washed it a few times um, for necessary reasons because it literally has come everywhere I've ever gone. Um, But yeah, it's grody. It's a little rough. (laughs) It probably has a distinct odor that will never wash out. But that's like a rite of passage, right? It's like a big deal. (laughs) Totally. Big old deal. All our kids will have them too. All right. What is Matt's ride or die toy from childhood? He is going to not be with us in person, but via voice memo. Hey guys, sorry I missed you this week at home dealing with sick kids. Uh, Favorite childhood toy? Man, that is a good question and one that I had to seriously think about. But the answer that I came up with was the simplest one just because it's so versatile and it was so much a part of every day growing up. And that is a ball. 
just a plain old ball. Get a ball in my hand and a game's going to get started. Uh, Lori can attest to the fact that every time my brother and I get together, it's like, yeah, do the initial greeting, hug, whatever, and then it's ball. Where's the ball? (laughs) What game are we making up? What sort of randomness are we going to try and do with it? And so a ball has to be my favorite number one toy from childhood. He ain't lying. They hug. (laughs) They do that hug that we talked about during the the touch conversation last week. And then they're like, so let's, we're second grade again. Yeah. (laughs) It's cute. All right, Steve, uh, which listener stood out to you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was thinking it's sort of like Matt said, I really wrestled over it because there's so many, mostly Star Wars oriented. Uh, But yeah, I know. But then I heard this from Les. One of my favorite childhood toys was probably my kid sized boom box, which I used with my my neighborhood pals to put on these massive productions in my driveway. Awesome. We invited all the other neighborhood peeps to come out to our concerts. I was a kid of the 80s. It was pretty rad. (laughs) And I was like, I did that too. When I, yeah. And for me, it was a record player because I was a kid of the 70s and 80s. (laughs) But yes, it was my sisters and the neighborhood. And we would put on, like, and we were super, like, conservative. So, like, the craziest it got was, like, hooked on classics, you know, like, oh, there's a beat there. (laughs) And, uh, but yeah, we would do these dramatized interpretations of, like, different musical pieces and stuff like that and little little plays i love it yep oh that's great love it (laughs) well katie stood out to me this is katie and my favorite toy growing up was definitely star wars lego sets will always be the best See, Steve, there you go. she's doing a little wink to she, you. She covered the Star Wars for us. I played Legos with my older brothers. We had a big enough house where we owned an old nursing home with our me and my 11 brothers and sisters. So we had an old nursing home house. And so oh, there were like rooms aplenty. So yeah. we literally had a Star Wars room. And so there was like the pirate area and the like Robin Hoodish area. And so we played with those a lot. So I don't, it's hard to pick the favorite. I'm with y'all. Um, but that was was some really good memories with my two older brothers. Hmm. Okay, Mo, (laughs) we're going to dive now more into the heart. We went backwards. Now let's go deep. And we ask (laughs) every guest this pair of these, this pair, this pair, these pairs, this pair, this pair, pair. smart. Okay. I ain't majored in English. (laughs) We, We ask every guest this pair of questions. And it is this, if the gospel is I'm more loved than I can possibly imagine and more sinful than I believe, when was the gospel first good news for you? And how is it still? Oh, wow. It, um, you know, I, I was raised up on it. I was brought up in the church. So I, most of my life I was hearing the gospel, but, um, it's sort of in a cultural Christianity type flow in the South and the Bible belt. Yeah. It was kind of in one ear out the other. So I could have probably told you a lot about the gospel, but when it became very personal and very real and alive and offensive and mm. soul saving to me, it was, um, in college after my, sophomore year of school, I had been enduring so much adversity, so much tragedy in such a short amount of time. I'd struggled with identity issues and eating disorder through high school. After my freshman year of college, I had very unexpectedly lost my dad to suicide, started wrestling with depression, anxiety, promiscuity. I mean, just a lot of brokenness. And it was after my sophomore year of really just one of the darkest seasons of of my life. Um, Mm that I lost control of my vehicle on an interstate and ended up flipping it several times just in wreckage on the side of the, of the interstate. And prior to that, the cry of my heart had really been like, I understand why my dad did what he did. And I see it as a viable option. I'm at the end of my line. Suicide is appealing. I'm depressed. I'm anxious. I'm broken. Mm. I've got a, a list a mile long of people I've given pieces of myself away to, and I'm just done. And, um, it was hanging upside down in that vehicle that the cry of my heart had been, God, if you're so real, do something, Mm -hmm. do something because this life isn't really worth living. So if it's, if anything's going to happen here, it has to be by your hand. And it was hanging upside down in that wreckage that the Holy spirit just 
was as crushing as it was soul resuscitating. It just entered into that space and God drew so near Mm -hmm. and just overwhelmed me with his inexplicable presence and power. And it was in that moment that there was really, I felt a flood of the truth of be still and know that I am God. And it, it, it was a profound moment for me because it wasn't just a, oh my goodness, thank goodness I'm alive after such a horrific car accident. Okay. I'm feeling this powerful moment. And, you know, from this adrenaline rush, I should probably choose to follow Jesus. It was more of this absolute intercession in my life and a complete revelation for me of Jesus did not just die for my sins. Jesus died because of my sins. He had to take the cross because of my sins. It became very personal to me, very real. This gospel I'd always kind of heard in church, but was just a step away from, you know, it wasn't very real to my life. Suddenly there was this incredible revelation of, oh, I am a sinner. (laughs) And I'm in desperate need of a savior. And somehow in the midst of my absolute brokenness, this savior is calling out my name and he sees me and he knows me and he loves me. And he took that cross for me Mm -hmm. and he stayed. Mm -hmm. And, and it was this profound personalization of a gospel. I think I'd always heard and a revelation of how deep in sin I truly was and an invitation into a love and a mercy and a grace that really covered every bit of that. And it became very real and very alive for me and um, completely changed the whole trajectory of my life. Hmm. So good. So, and I love how whenever we ask this question, it always like sparks the gospel in my own life. And it makes me like, yes, Jesus, even though it's the same question, it's the same testimony, but it's totally not. It's the same Jesus. That's good news for everyone every day. So how do you still need him? Are you all good now? Oh, Lord. (laughs) (laughs) I need him more now, daily, hourly, by the minute um, than I think I ever it's like every day there's a step deeper that I need him that I wouldn't have thought was necessary until <laughs> I arrived in that day. <laughs> yep. It's um, profound. I think, I think there's this sort of misconception and it, it in shallow faith, I think there's kind of this misconception and I, I had it for a while of like, Oh man, I put my faith in Jesus and it's good. Then, you know, the attack stops or the trials, you know, stop like a, surely a blessed life is kind of an easy life. And this is what God would have for me. And I think it's easy to kind of get swept into this, like almost prosperity mindset of, okay, I, I, I get Jesus and then all my problems are solved. And it's just not the reality. It's Mm -hmm. not the reality that we would no longer walk through valleys. The difference is that there's a divine hope in the midst of those valleys, there is a a divine spirit with us in those places. There's one who's endured them and taken them and is with us and for us and is now walking, you know, through the hard stuff. We can depend on him, lean on him. He is our source of truth, of life, of hope. And, um, so before I start standing up in my office and running laps, it's like (laughs) the, the valleys are still very much there. We've endured great adversity. Um, I would even argue more adversity since Mm -hmm. following Jesus, but there is, um, goodness, a, a, a supernatural peace that surpasses all understanding. There's a strength when we are weak. There's a hope when things seem hopeless and bleak. There is a like steadfast confidence and strength when circumstances are just out of our control and overwhelming. And there's nothing we can do to change them or fix the situation or whatever it may be. Jesus in that situation really is enough. And that's what changed at, at, you know, coming to know him and him really intersecting my life was not that life drastically, you know, changes in every capacity. There's still hard stuff. John 16, 33 in this world, we will face trouble, but take heart, have courage. I have overcome the world. 
Yes. And it, it changes. It changes your gait as you walk. It changes the pace in which you walk. Him walking with you um, changes a walk that's still hard, but mm. uh, it's holy. That's it. Man, well, okay. We receive it and we're like, I'm like, okay, I'm like, let's run those laps. Right. <laughs> okay. I'm sweating. Yeah. I, uh, I know. That's what Jesus does to you. I feel you. There's many times after this podcast, I'm like, I'm so sweaty because this is so intense. It's so good. Okay. Am I post or is this holy? I can't figure it out. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Okay. So you wrote this book, Sex, Jesus, and the Conversation the Church Forgot. And you talk about really your version of broken sexuality and um, your story, you unpack it. And, and um, it was interesting reading it from my perspective. So I don't wrestle like you do. I don't struggle with lust toward men, but when I wrestle with lust, it's toward women. And so there's some pieces I was like, yeah, I don't get that. I don't get that. But then there were so many times that I was like, I do get that because no matter what the image is that we're running toward, there's a similar reason we run. And some yeah. of that is this church. Let's talk about it. Let's, when we do silence, the enemy just can cut us off and isolate right. and lie to us. And then I also could relate to your cycle of sin management, the, okay, I say I'm not going to do it anymore. And then I fall and I say I'm not going to do it anymore. And then I fall like that whole thing. Yeah. And then also your messy road of healing. So I'm excited to dive into those areas with you. But first of all, why, why'd you write this book? You know, as I was writing my first book and fleshing out like my testimony of coming to faith, I, I realized there was this piece of my story that really paralleled my, the, the whole testimony I'd just written my whole life of brokenness, of confusion, of identity issues, of depression, of anxiety, of lot of all of this mess, then an encounter with Jesus that profoundly shifted the trajectory. Mm -hmm. And while life was still hard and messy and confusing at times, there was, um, uh, an obedience compelled by love. There was a sureness. I mean, everything we just spoke of the way life changes when you're then walking with Jesus, I realized, you know, there's a, a, a parallel here. My sexual testimony follows this entire thing. It's been from the start of my life to now there's been a sexual testimony as well. And so I can't condense this into a chapter like this mm -hmm. is rich and full and it's worth really unpacking in depth. And there's about a million in five ways the sexual conversation can go. And so I really sat down and I said, God, this has to be spoken into because a lot of my issues grew out of the fact that I think my family thought the church was talking to me about the hard stuff. The church thought my family was talking to me about the hard stuff. And therefore, mm -hmm. no one was talking to me about the hard stuff. Right. And the world was really pulsing that narrative. Like the culture was teaching me and telling me and shoving it down my throat in many ways. And, you know, it's in front of my eyes constantly, my ears constantly, my peers are shaping my understanding of all things, sex and sexuality and um, so I sat down and said, God, this is clearly something we need to be talking about. Mm -hmm. And when I look at your word, God, it is rich in sexual conversation. You are the creator of sex. You're the inventor of it. It was given to us as a gift. It's an act of worship in the right context. It's, it's a weapon against the enemy. You've given clear instruction and clear boundary, a beautiful guide. You've referenced it all for your word to talk about sex is to look more like you, the one who created it, because you're never shy to speak of it in your word. And yet we're not talking about it. And so God, I want to raise my voice here, but like I said, this conversation can go a million different directions. There are a lot of out branches here. And so what I really found him say to me was speak into the areas. I mean, it's what scripture says, sin is defeated by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. You have a testimony. You have authority, spiritual authority in the layers that you've walked through. So speak into those and then hand this to me and trust me that my Holy Spirit 
We'll, we'll, we'll translate it. We'll make sense of it to many. We'll breathe it, you know, far wider and deeper than you know how to wrap your words around. And it was a beautiful invitation to, okay, you know what? I will share my testimony here. I'll speak into the layers that have impacted me, but I'm going to trust you, God, that in speaking into these things and sourcing them all out of your truth, all of it roots back to you. All of it roots back to your design, your words, your word, the scripture. I trust God that your word won't return void and you will reach people that can connect to this and relate to this, though our testimonies may look different in detail. Mm -hmm. Um, and he's been so faithful to do that. That's what was like amazing about writing this was, we so limit, I think sometimes what God can do through us. We think like, well, I can only, you know, impact this or that because that's all I know. But he's like, man, be faithful. Mm -hmm. If I say, speak, speak. If I say, serve, serve. You know, if I say, pray, pray, and trust that I will multiply and I will reach the ones who, who need it. And so I love hearing that it connects with you too, even though our details are different, because at the end of the day, we're all image bearing creations of God. He, he knit us together, um, in perfect design and, and he speaks the same truths to our hearts, no matter what the symptomatic response, you know, plays out like, or looks like, or what those, you know, struggles become. So that's where I want to dive in now is kind of twofold. And so if you can unpack them at the same time, double (laughs) points. Uh, So how did the fall then affect your sexuality? And what was the heart driver behind the the brokenness? So you were looking Mm -hmm. toward broken sexuality, but there was a heart behind it. It wasn't just raw, broken sexuality. Right. Yeah. So um, I feel like to speak first to the fall and then remind me the second part, because I've got a great Deal. <laughs> great comment. I'll now get you in my brain, but I also suffer from mom brain. So it's all applesauce. What? At the moment. Huh? Um, <laughs> to speak to the fall. I think it's profound because we can, if we look at the Holy word of God, we can look at one of the first conversations God has with man involves sex and it involves a, 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 a spoken word of our identity. And so what I mean by that is if we look in Genesis, one of the first conversations God has with man is he says, go forth, be fruitful and multiply. He, he made you and I, he made man, woman in his image. We are the pinnacle of his creation. He's created the heavens and the earth, the animals. And then he creates man in his own likeness to rule over these things, to live with purpose, to live with designed to be on mission, to, to work, you know, to bring glory to God. And he then says, now go forth, be fruitful and multiply. And what we can kind of unpack from that is God is saying to us now go forth, be fruitful, be productive, be constructive. Look at the, the, the wonder of the way I've created you, man and woman, different and unique and, and equally made in the image of God, but with different roles and tasks stamped onto us, different facets of our, of our likeness to him knit into our DNA. And he's like, so go be fruitful, like delight in this rule over what I've given you live with purpose, live with focus. And he weaves this, you know, this word together with an instruction, a sexual instruction and multiply and do it. You know, it's like delight in this gift I've given you to this sexuality that is also stamped into you and multiply it in this, this design that I've created, this covenantal bond between you, Adam and you, Eve. And I think what's profound is we look there and we see these two things woven and married together at creation, our sexuality and our, our, our identity. Our identity is image-bearing creations of God with purpose in our lives, and our sexuality are woven together in that sentence. But what we see as a result of the fall is Eve choosing to choose for herself what is best for her. And what we, I think, often see in our lives, especially in sexuality, is we choose to choose for ourselves what is best for us. God has spoken this over us. He's given us our identity, our, our, our assignment, our value, our worth. And we choose to choose 
what we think is best for us. It is where sin enters in. We want to be the God of our own stories. And what happens there in the sexual capacity is that you take these two things that he married together, this incredible identity written over our lives, this sexual instruction in his design. And when sexual sin enters the equation, it it rips apart these two things. We choose to choose for ourselves what is best for us sexually, what we want, what we think we need, what we desire. And it It rips apart these two things that were never meant to know divide. And then what happens? The sexuality, our sexual decision-making, those sin struggles become the very thing that we use and leverage and try to find our identity and our value and our purpose with. We want to be loved. We want to know that we're loved, that we're valuable, that we're seen, that we're desired. And it's like, I don't know, I'm acting all this out with my arms. So it makes more sense when you see the two things woven together and then divided. But it becomes that sexuality that becomes like our identity finder. We, We leverage this sexuality to find the worth that was actually always spoken over us. That was always there married with the two, but sin creates this great you know, separation between the two and we just walk confused and we're hurt and we're searching and we're seeking. And that was definitely, you know, such a big part of my story. I think because there weren't clear voices speaking these truths and helping make sense of things to me, it was like on the sexual side, I just thought it was very separate from God. I'm like, yeah, right. This doesn't seem like it's quite godly, like these feelings, these urges, these desires. And like, I, I'm, I want to have some say in this, you know, and it was like the, the sexual sin crept in and I just wanted to choose what I wanted and how I thought this played out and, you know, what I desired in the process. And then inevitably it became the thing over time that I was using to try to find my worth, my value, my identity. I wanted to be loved. I wanted to be seen as beautiful. I wanted to feel this intimacy, that's really what it roots down to is I longed for this intimate connection, but I was seeking it in man. I was seeking it in another person because it was always intended their intimacy with God. But when that separation happens and the sexuality has been wielded, we're seeking that, we're seeking that intimacy we long for, Hmm. but with, with someone to, to provide it for us. And it's like, it's just problematic. Yep. <laughs> it just gets so messy and yep. so complicated. And I think the, the struggle sometimes is that we want to stand up and shake our fists from the pulpit at all of these symptomatic responses that we see, but it's like putting a bandaid on a bullet hole when we don't address the condition of the heart. Yep. It becomes a, a seeking of behavior modification versus true heart transformation. And that is what kind of became the anthem, I guess, of my sexual journey was I was trying to like modify my behavior and do things I thought I was supposed to do and what was good and what was not. And you know, kind of maintain this facade, yet my heart was dark Mm. and messy, you know, and um, I think that's probably actually the case with many of us. Uh, And, and God, God came for the heart. The behavior is a byproduct of the condition of the heart. Impure behavior flows from an impure heart. Mm. Pure behavior flows from a pure heart. So he cares deeply for the heart. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know if we we're, we're talking about that enough as a church. And as a body of believers. Well, I want to jump in real quick and I want to hear what was the heart motivation, which you did just uh, unpack, you know, that need to be seen and known and loved and to have this deep heart intimacy. But, you know, some of the church will see your heterosexual promiscuity and they'll say, well, Mo, just put a ring on it and it will make it all better. And then it makes your lust Christian legal. And really, that's a same sort of Band-Aid on a bullet hole sort of issue. And so then when they see people who are attracted to the same sex and let's say promiscuity or not, and we just mm-hmm. say, well, uh, and we're so stuck in behavior modification as opposed to looking at the heart, we say, well, you just need to stop it and uh, maybe find someone of the opposite sex. No, is that going to work? Right. I don't know. I don't know what to do. And then our hair lights on fire <laughs> and we run away. So yeah. can, can you unpack, I guess, 
for us. So, you know, it sounds like promiscuity and you, you talk about that a lot in the book and you're referring Mm -hmm. to this heart stuff and you talk about this car accident. So how did Christ align your heart to his to do more than behavior modification? Right. Such a great question. And I just want to speak for a moment to the, to the comments before, um, I, if I could stand up and amen, I would, because (laughs) we are so as a church and don't get me wrong. I love the church. I love the body of Christ. I am a champion for it. I also love it so much. I'm more than willing to point out where it's unhealthy and where it's off base. And that is, of love because we need to get healthy by the mm-hmm. spirit of God. We need him to tend to even the wounds of the church. And what I see, you know, as a struggle here, as we have ranked and categorized sin, mm-hmm. um, and we are more than willing to point out the individual struggling with homosexual issues and sin struggle, yet the heterosexual issues we turn a blind eye to, or like you said, we say, well, just put a ring on it and fix it. Mm-hmm. And you're a hundred percent right. This is band-aids on bullet holes because there are many people I know believers who would stand up and have plenty to say about those dealing with homosexuality. And yet they're living with their boyfriend or they are in sexual sin, heterosexually. Mm-hmm. And this is a problem. This is a massive problem within the church because we are, like you said, we're looking at the surface level symptomatic responses here and we're either yelling at it or chastising it or shaming it or giving a temporary, this might fix it. Right. And we are failing to allow the Holy Spirit of God to be a heart surgeon on each and every one of us and tend to the heart. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, it's just, I get, I get passionate about it yep. because the hypocrisy we often see isn't serving the body no. to, to point out issue and not be able to then point to the solution of truth is just criticism. It's not actually, um, a, a Christian brotherhood and sisterhood. And so I think what I profoundly came to understand when Jesus intersected my life for so long, I'd just been trying to like follow this rule list, do this, don't do that. This is right. This is wrong. And I don't totally fault the church because it's like, especially around the sexual discussion, it's so loud. The world is screaming so many different things and drowning out in many ways, the church's voice into it. So sometimes I look at the body of Christ and it's like, just trying to get a word in edgewise. We're like, well, this is sin and this is not. And then we're like shoved out of the conversation again. You know, I, I, I feel for the bride of Christ in that, it's a battle, you know, it's a, it's a battlefield out there. Um, and there's a lot of loud screaming voices, but what I do know to be true. And what I found was that when I, when I came to know Jesus, when he intersected my life, it moved from this rule list of do this, don't do that. This is right. This is wrong. That inevitably invites us to the, the very flesh driven human question of, okay, so then how far is too far? Like, okay, so I'll be a virgin. That was my big, bold proclamation. I'll save myself until I'm married. I'll be a virgin when I marry thinking that makes me somehow holier or more righteous. And yet I'm struggling with porn behind the scenes. I'm pushing the envelope as far as it'll go. And the question of my heart is, okay, so how far is too far? And what can I get away with and still be called a virgin? And this is not godly or holy either. (laughs) This is is all wrong. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, that's where many people, where I certainly existed for a while of this behavior modification. But when Jesus intersected my story, he was like this radically offensive and sanctifying and beautiful surgeon of my heart that said, hold on, everything's all off here. It's like when he meets the Samaritan woman at the well. If we look at this story, when Jesus crosses paths with the Samaritan woman, the first thing he does, he offers her living water and she's like, great, I'll take it. And he's like, okay. And then he starts addressing um, her greatest struggle. She was known for her promiscuity, for her sexual sin struggles. And he's like, that's great. I have this for you, but like, we need to work through this first. He says, go and get your husband. And she's like, whoa, 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 
you know, I don't, I don't have a husband. And, and, and he's like, I know uh, you've been married five times and the man you're living with now, you're not even married to. And this is so offensive. This is Jesus meeting this woman. And the first thing he does is he drums up her greatest sexual sin struggles. And we can see that and be like, well, that's uncomfortable. And who would like that? Or we can see that and say, Jesus cared so much for her heart. And he cares so much for the state of our hearts that he is, is more than willing to drum up the deepest, darkest, messiest stuff and tend to it. That's what he wants to do. And it's the, it's the heart layer that he pulls these things up against our kicking and screaming and denial and rationalizing. And he's like, let's work on this. Because when we begin to do the heart surgery here, you will see that I love you. I am for you. It will set your eyes on me. It's painful, the process, but it brings the healing, the suturing, the balming salve that is his spirit, his truth. And it's like, it, 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 it truly does the work that will have lasting effect. And it comes with fixing our eyes on him, with allowing him to do that messy, hard stuff and not running from it. She didn't run away from it. This is what I love of the Samaritan woman. She could have picked up and bailed. No, 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 that's not me. No, this is, you know what? It's my life, my freedom, my choices. This is what I've wanted to do. And so be it. And here I am. And you know, I'll figure a way through. No, she sits and he tends to these wounds. And then the Samaritan woman is the first woman we see in the Gospels that actually is given the permission by Jesus to uh, evangelize. Before he's performing miracles and he's like, don't tell anyone what I've done. Don't say anything. You know, don't tell him who I am. He's like meticulous in the release of his ministry. But it's with this sexually broken woman at the well is the first person that that he gives um, implied permission to, to to go go tell him who I am. Go tell him what I've done. He says, I am the Messiah. Hmm. And she takes off running back to her village. And what comes off her lips, like picture this again. I'm sweating. I'm sorry. This might be <laughs> off topic, but it's just flowing out. She runs it. back with another man's name on her lips. This is the sexual sin this woman's been identified by. This is the sexual sin that we feel like is the stamp over our story that we can't escape. And yet it becomes the very platform she steps onto. She comes back with another man's name on her lips. Imagine the people's thoughts in the town. And yet it's the name above all names. It's the name of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And that becomes her lead story. This man told me everything I've ever done. And in order for him to tell us everything we've ever done, we have to sit still enough to listen and to humble ourselves before the Lord and so that he can lift us up and to swallow our pride and to let him bring up these messy things. And then that will become the banner of our testimony. And the word says that many came to believe in response to this woman's faithfulness, that they invited Jesus into town and that many more put their faith in him. And um, it's, it's, perf it's, it's incredible mm. when the enemy wants nothing more than to silence us with shame. It is, it is incredible to see that Jesus wants to work and tend to our hearts and that the things that once shamed us will become the very things that we boast in for the glory of God. Yeah. They become the pillars of our testimony. And that is the mark the difference between behavior modification, where when we stumble, where we struggle, we want to go hide it again because it didn't look good enough versus heart transformation, where when we stumble and we struggle, we say, you know what? No, he started a good work in me that he's going to bring to completion. And so this, I will not allow to be silenced. I know community. I know accountability. I know that he is doing a good work in me. And it just, it just steps on the heel of the serpent of shame. Mm. It really does. And it gives us freedom. And I'm done preaching. I'm sorry. <laughs> so good. No, sorry. That's right, girl. Um, I love it. And I know people who are listening can relate to what you're saying. And they feel perhaps areas of their heart where the Holy Spirit has been pinpricking. So the mm -hmm. enemy shames and shoves our whole body in a toilet and says, you're worthless. The Holy Spirit <laughs> pinpricks areas of our heart that we need to surrender. And so if someone's listening right now and they're feeling this pinprick of the spirit, um, 
don't run, run to the source of living water. And Mm -hmm. on that, some of you have reached out because, you know, Matt and I have been very vulnerable on this podcast, Steve, you too. And um, our guests are amazing. What you're offering right now, Mo, is is perhaps further being like, "Ah, I want to come out of hiding and I want to get some of this freedom, not so I can change my behavior, but I can get to the soul quenching of my thirst. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. if they're listening right now and they're feeling that pinprick, what would you say to them? Um, What would you say to them, Mo? Oh, it's so good. I I would first say um, no temptation that you're facing is uncommon to man. This is the word of God. Um, That no temptation that we're facing is uncommon. I think oftentimes a, a thing that contributes to our silence and shame is this complete lie that like, we're the only one dealing with it. Yeah. Or if people knew X, Y, or Z, they would certainly think or do ABC. You know, it's like we sit in this silent, shameful place and dream up all of these different scenarios that just aren't true. Mm -hmm. And the reality is that no temptation has overtaken you. Nothing that you bring to the foot of the cross is going to knock God off his throne. In fact, it's the humility to bring those things that he delights in, that he honors, that he wants to heal in us, to tend to, to purify, to sanctify, to realign with truth, with what is holy and good, to minister to us around. It's like these very things are what he says, like humble yourself before me. And bring them to me. So I would say you're so not alone. And I would also encourage, encourage that there is healing. There is true, profound healing that can take place. There is true, profound freedom that can be found. But oftentimes freedom is found, like scripture says, to, 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 to find life, you must lose it. Yeah. And so oftentimes freedom is found when we die to self. This self-preservative, I don't, I'll just figure it out on my own. I don't want someone to know. I don't want to tend to this prick. This could have real ramifications of X, Y, or Z. No, you find life when you lose it. When you die to self and say, man, this has been pricking at me. I don't know what the consequences are going to be. I don't know what the you know, voices around me may say, I don't know much of anything, but what I do know is that God almighty is inviting me to bring this to him. Mm -hmm. And so I, um, need to, because he knows what's best for me. And I do know that his truth speaks of freedom, speaks of hope, speaks of healing. And I don't know what that looks like. And maybe what I know that looks like, I don't actually want, like I, I don't know if I could even identify with that, or that's a, a journey that I don't know. I, I don't even know if I want that, but wait a second. I know that he says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. I know that he has restoration for me, that the freedom I'm seeking, he is the one who can offer it. So I don't know a million of the variables, but I know him mm-hmm. and I want to be known by him. And I want intimacy with God, the father. That's what my soul's craving. Yeah. And so whatever it costs, I don't know what the cost will be, but I'm willing if that means that, that, that I could know him more. Mm. And it's just so terrifying, <laughs> but you're so not alone in, in the, in the fear. And I would just speak and encourage that person. You're also you're not alone in the the rallying, the support, the prayer of faith that would rise above your fear. There are people who are praying for you. There are people who are praying for this nation. There are people who are praying for those who have known the same sin struggles they're walking through or temptations or failures or whatever it may be. I'm one of them. I'm praying Mm. for this generation that we would turn back to the Lord, that we would repent of our sins, that we would trust him, that we would know the never changing, never failing variable that is God. And that all the other variables of fear, of indecision, of indecisiveness, whatever they may be, would fall away in the faith that the one never changing, never failing truth is that God loves you so much and that knowing him more changes everything. Amen. Mm. 
Mo, um, we just did church, so thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, sorry um, about that. No, zero sorry. I will not take that. You should that see so- my friends. Sometimes they just want casual conversation. Yeah, <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm not that friend. <laughs> I am not either, so this is why we can be friends. Um, <laughs> but would you just close up this conversation? And I will... Um, Guys, I'm going to link to Mo's books, and, and it's really just beautiful to hear both her story and her first memoir and the second one, her sexual memoir, essentially, her sexual testimony mm-hmm. of what God has done. It's, you know, she gets specific, but not graphic. And and I even, mm-hmm. like, I love how you walk both through the mess, that cycle of sin management, but as well as, like, the healing that can take place. And then the challenges past healing, like in marriage, if God calls mm-hmm. you to that, um, and as well as that curriculum that is out so you can dive further into those um, conversations. So guys, I'm going to link you to all of that. But Mo, would you just close out this podcast with a prayer for those who are listening and feeling the the nudge of the Holy Spirit to reach out to you, to reach out to us, to reach out to someone and to come out of hiding? Yeah, absolutely. Um, dear Heavenly Father, God, you are holy and you are good and you are kind and you are full of love, and you are full of mercy, God. You are powerful, and yet you are so compassionate and tender. God, you know every hair on our head, um, and you also placed every star in the sky, and that is like profound, Jesus. Um, So we just come to the foot of your throne right now, Lord, and we just praise you. We lift you up. We thank you for who you are. Um, God, I just come to you on behalf of my brothers and sisters listening in, um, Lord, that they would know it's your kindness, your love, your mercy that leads us to repentance, Lord. It's your compassion. It's the compassionate act, goodness, the model of the cross, God, that invites us into the vulnerable places, that compels us to respond to the pricking and the prying, Lord, the weight, the conviction, God. There's such a difference between shame, which is not of you, God, and conviction, which is of you. God, I pray you would give the listeners discernment to know the difference. Lord, I pray you would give them courage to open their hands and open their hearts to you, God. I pray you would send people their way, Lord, to walk with them in whatever it is they're walking through to be accountability for them, to be a compassionate ear for them, God, to be a pointer to truth for them personally in their lives, God. I pray that you would wash your cleansing water, your living water over every single person listening, God, and remind them that you are are the ones who our soul thirsts for, that you are the one, the the bread of life whom we hunger for, God, that intimacy with you is incomparable to anything else, God. And my brothers and sisters listening, fix their eyes on you. Mm. Would they speak the power of life and death lies in the tongue, God? So would they speak truth and life? Lord, would they bring what you're stirring in them to the surface, God? Would they hit their knees in prayer and commune with you, God? And would they trust you, the giver of life, the one who loves us, who sees us, who knows us, God? Would we trust you, um, that you are who you say you are, um, and that you are good? Mm. We love you, Lord. We trust you. In Jesus' perfect name we pray. Amen. 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 Mo, thank you so much for sharing your heart and um, just exhorting us today. We so appreciate it. It is my honor. Thank you guys for having me on. All right, guys. Thanks so much for joining us today. Um, And just ending with that prayer, I just wanted to invite you. I actually wrote this in the notes before we were led to go to prayer. Um, But if you guys need prayer or you want to reach out, you can reach out to me at laureahimhministries.com, laureahimhministries.com, or find me on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter to both answer those questions of the week or to just let us know how we can be praying for you. And if we can connect you to someone to walk alongside you, we'd love to. But prayer isn't like the last thing we do. It should be the first thing that we do. It really cracks open our hearts and it it's actually does something. God's real. But speaking of hitting me up for question of the week, we do have one for next week. And here it is. If you had to be stuck inside of a TV show for the rest of your life, talk about changing gears. 
which show would it be and what character would you want to be in it? Or like what type of character? Like I would want to be a neighbor of Bart Simpson. Well, that sounds terrible. Okay, but uh, what TV show would you want to be in and what sort of character? I'm just genuinely curious, so please let us know. Um, but guys, thanks for being on the journey with us. Thanks for being a part of this family. I feel like the more we do this, the more it feels so familial, which, I mean, that's how God rolls, isn't it? So thank you, Jesus. All right, for all of us here at the Hole in My Heart podcast, we will see you next week. So, this is Gwen, right? Yeah. And she just started kindergarten. She just started kindergarten, and it's going. Yeah. So, I used to see parents and be like, oh, you guys talk about how your heart's walking around on the outside, and I'd be like, oh, right. are you guys kind of weak, though? <laughs> so, so, you saying that because you, I mean, when I'm a parent, I'm going to nail it. But you're right. Your heart's walking around on the outside, so I'm dropping her off today, and she wants me to walk her in. And uh, she starts crying. And so mom starts getting the tears in the eyes. I'm like, no, 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 I can't lose it. I have to be strong for her. But I'm so thankful for this podcast and all that we talk about with this whole, like the Franchan book that wrecked yes. me, the marriage. Um, what was the book called? It was You and Me Forever. You and Me Forever, yeah. where he talks about kids. And he's like, we so hyper-focused on them, but really we need to include them in the mission. It's not all about right, them. Right, right. It includes them. So... I thought about that. I'm like, Gwen, God has a big plan for your life. No, I didn't say that. But I said <laughs> some things like, you know, Gwen, like God has a calling on your life. And we were talking about that. And I was like, you get to, he's going to tell you how you get to tell people about Jesus. And that's so cool. So we can be with him forever. And she's like, yeah. And then I used touch okay. to tell her, I affirm her. Yeah. And we've been memorizing a verse in Isaiah that's, I'm holding, I almost sang it because <laughs> we've been singing. <laughs> I'm going to sing it. Okay. Okay. I don't know where it is. It's an Isaiah. <clears throat> okay. It goes, I am holding you by your right hand, says the Lord, your God. And I say to you, do not be afraid. Cause kids, they like to say that. Yeah. I am here to help you. And so she's like, kids, they sing these songs. I don't really like. I'm like, well, you can sing that one to yourself. Like, I don't want to be obnoxious. Right. And then I said, Gwen, and I grabbed her hand yeah. telling her, I see her. I affirm her so that she can look through the touch to God right. behind me. Right. So it's not that mommy's the savior. It's that savior's the savior. Mm. So I grab her hand. I'm like, he's holding you by your right hand. I'm getting emotional saying this. I'm like, and he's here to help you. Can you picture that? And every time you squeeze your hand today, can you just picture that Jesus is holding you by your right hand? Yeah, mom, I can do it. I can do it. So I'm like backing up and I'm like showing, like squeezing my hand together and be like, you can squeeze your hand. Yeah. And I'm like doing like warrior pose and not like warrior pose, yoga pose, but like my arms are strong. I'm like you can do this, Gwen. And so I don't know. I'm looking forward to seeing how she is at no 3 doubt. o'clock. Yeah. yeah. Wow. It's hard. Yeah. No kidding. Well, good for you. That's awesome. That is awesome. Thanks. I've got a junior and a senior and maybe i'll try that with them now hold her hand <laughs> yes sing the song i'll be like jesus is holding your hand would that yeah. mean something to them i don't know i mean you know whatever dad yeah at this point it's very quiet on the way to school because really? they're still waking up yeah yeah you know um you give them coffee uh no they're not coffee drinkers yet i wish yeah. they were sometimes yeah, yeah. Like, this morning shut up and drink your coffee the, the the oldest michael he has sort of made some like Sort of New Year's resolutions, new school year's resolutions That's cute. that we talked about last week. And so he wants to do better. He's always had a really hard time in the morning. Mm. So, you know, this is just day two. But he was at the table with breakfast hey. this morning. Like, it's always been just a mad dash. No time for yeah, eating yeah. anything. So he's sitting there. He's made himself breakfast. And I see him drinking out of a mug. I'm like, is he drinking coffee? No, it was just a glass of milk. Oh, but, <laughs> in a mug. <laughs> yeah, he had it in a mug. 